Thank you for joining us. For your encouragement, we bring to you this biblical sermon from Dr. Charlie Dates, preached at the Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. We hope that it leaves you refreshed and inspired. If you're ever in Chicago on a Sunday, we'd love to have you in worship with us. Join now. This message already in progress. John chapter 14, this morning, we continue our series called This We Believe. And this morning, we give our attention to the shy member of the Trinity, as it were, the Holy Spirit. I want to, this morning, read into your hearing verses 16 and 17 of John chapter 14 and verses 26 and 27. And as you turn there, let me encourage you that you too can face the disappointments of life when you have the very real presence of God. That's it. You too can face the disappointments of life when you have the very real presence of God. All right, those of you who are here, would you stand? I'm going to ask you all to stand for the reading of God's Word. Thank you so much. All right, I'm going to begin reading at verse 16 and 17, and then I'm going to jump over to verses 26 and 27. Uh, but for context, I, I'm going to end up preaching the bulk of the chapter. So we'll move rather swiftly uh, there. Here we go. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it does not see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, here it is, in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled or fearful. Do not let your heart be troubled or fearful. Do not let your heart be troubled or fearful. This morning, I want to turn our attention to the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. We have talked a bit about God the Father, God the Son, and now we begin our preaching through the person and work of God the Holy Spirit. And a simple tag this morning I think will do us just fine. I, I want to tag this text in our exchange. He's still with us. Turn to your neighbor if you got one here because you're safe in doing that. It looked like they came with you. Good to see you, Kelvin. Thank you all for hanging out with us today. Tell him he's still with us. He's still with us. You may be seated. He's still with us. You may be seated. Our Father and our God, we thank you and honor you for the privilege that is ours to read your word to study it, to know you, and now to preach your word. I don't in any way come to this pulpit this morning with confidence in my own ability and skill. In fact, I'm even more aware today that you are the instructor 
the teacher, the one who reveals truth. <clears throat> so I pray, <clears throat> help me, dear Lord, to tell the truth this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit. Grant me clarity of mind, concision of speech, and conviction of heart that I may tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This week I'm scheduled, if the Lord wills, to deliver the keynote address at the National Conference on Preaching along this theme, Preaching in Troubled Times. Honestly, I don't know when preaching ever had a context other than troubled times. The theme, however, is trying to get at the current moment and the social milieu in which our nation resides right now. There's a pandemic of a challenge going on outside, in case you ain't been outside in the last 16 months. There's economic trouble. The president is asking for the largest budget in American history. There is perpetual racial injustice. It doesn't matter how many state legislatures tell you that critical race theory isn't legit or that systematic racism does not exist. I'm here to tell you there is still racial injustice that plagues our nation. There's denominational strife. This week, the largest Protestant denomination in the world is going to meet in Nashville and they're gonna elect a president. It may be a circus, but really what they are voting on is if racism is real or not. There is strife, trouble everywhere we look. And a host of every other, Kelvin, real complicated issues and challenges. But I'm aware this morning that the people to whom I'm preaching, the pandemic may be the last thing on your mind. You could care less about a denominational meeting in Tennessee. The economic strife of the nation isn't what has you staying up late at night. You got other problems. I'm preaching to somebody who's troubled over the loss of a companion. Maybe your own declining health, having to wrestle with father time, who as Charles Barkley says is undefeated. Maybe an elderly couple this week is moving out of the only house that they have called home for the last 40 years, relocating to a venue unfamiliar, foreign friendships new to develop. What ails us, church family and friends, is varied. It is comprehensive. It is cumbersome. At times, it's all-consuming, and it is difficult. Despair despondence, distress, hopelessness. These are the words that characterize the human experience for many in 2021. I guess if I were to leap from the world of the text to Chicago in 2020, I read last year that drug overdoses peaked in Cook County, especially on the west side, Brian, during the raging pandemic summer of 2020. The ERs saw more people needing to be revived from heroin overdoses than they had seen ever before in Cook County. 
I read just yesterday that young girls are leading the nation in visitors to the ER as a result of attempted suicides. Despair, despondence, distress, hopelessness. These are the words that characterize the human experience for many in 2021. But these are also the words that characterized the crestfallen disciples of Jesus in John chapter 14. Trouble is everywhere, church. I'm trying to tell you, trouble is in John 14. It's also in June 2021. Trouble is all around us. Trouble in the White House, trouble in City Hall, trouble at the crack house, trouble in your house. Trouble is everywhere. And when we meet the disciples in John chapter 14, their greatest hope against trouble is about to disappear on them. They have just spent some time eating together. <clears throat> and Jesus is hours away from his crucifixion. He predicts his betrayal. He tells them, one of you is going to betray me. Peter wants to know who it is, but he's not close enough to the ears of Jesus to whisper and ask for a clue. So he signals to John, hey, John, you're Jesus' boy. You're laying right there. Ask him, find out who it is. Jesus says, hey, the one who dips the morsel of bread with me in the dipping bowl, that's the one. And when Judas stands up, having been influenced by the devil himself, Jesus looks at him and says, hey, man, what you do, go do quickly. And this is going to show up again in the text because the disciples have no idea what he means when he's talking to Judas. The Bible says that they thought Jesus was giving him instruction about going to give money to the poor or to pay for preparations for the feast. They didn't know that Jesus was releasing his own arch enemy from within his own camp. It's too much to preach here, but I'm telling you, some of the most dangerous people to you are those who are closest to you. There, Jesus releases him, and he goes on. And Jesus says, fellas, I got something I need to tell y'all. I'm about to leave you. Pause. No. Play that again. We have given everything up to follow you. And now you are about to leave us. You can imagine Peter saying, hey, man, I was on the verge of a successful business. A serial entrepreneur he was trying to get one means up, one leg up upon another. You could, you could feel the despair and the despondence mounting in the room that day where Jesus says, I know we've come this far. I know that the last three years of your life have been characterized by my ministry, but, but I can't stay here. It's time for me to go. Listen to what Jesus says. Let not your heart be troubled. Hmm. This, friends, is a word to stop an action already in progress. You are feeling despair. You are feeling troubled. But before I go, I'm here to tell you, don't let trouble take over your attitude. I, I heard Tiff this morning as she was leading us in song saying, we all could use some help. We all could use some encouragement. These are times where we face trouble. But listen afresh to the words of Jesus 
as he tells us that you can face anything in life because Jesus has already prepared life after this life. Don't let your heart be troubled. Church, let me slow up long enough to say that to you. Whatever you face today, don't let it trouble you. No, no, no. It may be troublesome, but don't let it trouble you. It, it may have a real claim to fatigue and worry and anxiety and keep you up late at night. But here, Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Oh, I'm grateful for Jesus this morning in John chapter 14 as he answers the question that everybody's asking. Why should we not be troubled at your departure? I hope y'all ready for this. Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You know, one of the problems of preaching this to churchgoers and people who've been paying attention for many years is that you think you already got the answer to what Jesus is saying in this text. Jesus, the oomph, the punch of his words strike because of the context of the Judeo-Hebraic faith. It, it is that these guys had no problem with Baptist training union. They had attended every Sunday school convention there was. I mean, they got more cards than Sister Hetty Thurman. These are people who have gone to the conventions. They've studied at the table. They, they, they got good monotheistic theology. And here in this moment, Jesus is not altering their monotheism. He is informing it. You believe in God, yes. But I need to teach you something about God. You're looking at him. You believe in God, believe also in me. This is, is comforting and problematic at the same time, guys. Watch this, because they had been with Jesus for three years. They had watched Jesus turn water to wine. They had watched Jesus walk on water. Peter had witnessed Jesus open Brian uh, Bartimaeus' eyes and heal his mother-in-law's fever. They, they had been so close to Jesus, but yet this text suggests that they still didn't know Jesus. And I preach this because after I labor every week preaching in and out, and you think people get what you are preaching and you have a side conversation at the family picnic and you discover they ain't got nothing you've been preaching for the last three years. This, this, this is an encouragement to any and everybody who's been walking with God, but you still don't quite get how big God is. Jesus says, you don't need to be troubled because as you believe in God, you believe in, in me. In my father's house are many mansions. Oh, <laughs> if it were not so, I would, have, I would have told you, this, friends, is what we believe about God. Some Jews, some Muslims believe that Christians are not monotheist, that we do not believe in one God because we say God the Father is divine and God the Son is divine. But what you got to catch in what Jesus is saying is not that he and the Father are different in essence. He is saying they are distinct in person. 
we do not believe in multiple gods. We believe in one God who is expressed in three distinct persons. I'm going to show it to you in just a moment. This is what we need to know. God so loved us that he did not just stay way up there. But when the penalty for our sin had to be paid, he came way down here. So when you meet Jesus, you've met God. And whatever you need this morning, whatever you face this morning, whatever dark night of the soul, whatever trial, whatever mountain you've got to overcome, I need to tell you, you don't have to wish and hope for God's help. In Jesus, you got everything that God has to offer. God, help me in here this morning. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Jesus says, he says, believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, friends, Jesus is co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal with the Father. Jesus, Jesus is saying something that I'm going to unpack in greater measure in just a moment. He, he's saying that there are many ways to get lost, but there's only one way to get to heaven. And Jesus is saying, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I'm trying not to preach it too fast, too soon. But I need to tell y'all, part of what shouts me about this text is that my next living arrangement are already settled. Uh, I don't need a real estate agent. I, I don't need to go online and look at what it's going to be like. It's, it's already done. Can I tell you the better part? I ain't even got to pay for, for my best living arrangements. You might think that the nice big house you got in South Holland is nice. You might enjoy where you are living on the farm or wherever you may be in, in the world, but, but the biggest, nicest house in Beverly Hills is less than the ghetto compared to heaven. Jesus says, I, I'm on my way to prepare a place for you. That didn't help you. Maybe this will. It was about May of 2006, and uh, I was high on the hog, as they would say. There was a wedding that was about to take place in a bit more than eight weeks. You have no idea the enthusiasm that still resides in my heart, but that was leaping in that moment. I was about to get the girl that I had been chasing for the better part of six years. I know that don't mean nothing to y'all, because these days you just get the girl you want right away. That wasn't my testimony. I had to work, strive hard. And the finish line was in sight, Matt. And then I got a call one day from Reverend Dr. Harold Davis. And, uh, you know, he's fond of calling you out of the blue to ask you interesting questions, drop some lines on you that you never heard. Sometimes he would call Kelvin. He would say, uh, I, I would say, hey, Rev, give an account of your stewardship. That's the first words I would Give an account of your, your stewardship. You sucking up God's air. What are you doing with your life? This day, I picked up the phone. Hey, man, how you doing? Where y'all going to live? My soon-to-be wife's father had one question on his mind. I, I know how this is going to go. I'm going to give her away at the altar, but I need to know where y'all going to live. The reason I bring it up is because I hadn't quite had an answer to that question. About eight weeks out, I, I was a recent, about to be a recent grad of seminary. I, 
I knew we wasn't living with my mama. No shade to anybody who does that. Uh, I was newly employed, and, and we, were about to, we were about to get things together, but I didn't have an answer. But his, his query is the penetrating question of every father who's concerned about the future of their children. Have you squared away details? You think when Jesus is saying these words in John chapter 14 that he is simply using flowery language? This is the language of a father wanting to know what's going to happen when you get my child. And in that ancient Near Eastern context, a groom would make the proposal. Then he would have to go back to his father's house and he would have to build an extension onto the father's house to get it ready for his bride. But he never knew when it was finished. Only the father knew when he was satisfied with the groom's work. So the groom had to lay out the plans and keep building and keep preparing so that one day the father would look at the addition and say, you ready to go get your bride? This is why Jesus could tell a parable about 10 virgins who had to keep their lamps trimmed and burning because the virgins never knew when the groom was about to show up. But I'll do you one better. The groom didn't even know when he was about to show up. Only the father knew when he was about to show up. And the father knows when enough is enough. Help me preach, Holy Ghost. What Jesus says is that I'm on my way to prepare a place for you and I can't give you a timeline for when I'm coming back but what I can tell you is my father knows when enough is enough. He's looking and he's watching and he's waiting and one day the sky is going to crack and I'm coming back to get you. I wonder am I preaching to anybody here who has ever had to deal with hurt and heartache and loneliness and you saying enough is enough already. Well, let me tell you, heaven is keeping its watch and God knows when enough is enough. And come that day, he's going to come get us. I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be also. I'm grateful for Thomas in this text. Thomas says, I get it, the world is not my home. T -t Thomas is actually affirming what Jesus is saying. He, he, he's saying, sooner we'll be done with the troubles of this world. He, T Thomas heard the Negro spiritual in him before it came out, come and go with me to my father's house. Plenty good room up there. Y'all interested in hearing this this morning? Plenty good room up there in my father's house. Uh, Th Thomas understood that, but Thomas had another question. We ain't got no GPS. We, we don't know where this place is. You ain't gave us no address. And we don't know how to get there. I'm grateful for Thomas's question because if we're honest philosophically, and academically, a lot of people got Thomas's question. Where are we going and how are we going to get there? You do know that that's why people make up religions, right? Because they want to know, how do we get there? 
This, friends, is the perennial question of any and every searching heart and mind. How do we get to where God is? Thomas says, Jesus, we want to go, but there's some things we don't know. We don't know the way. Can you see Jesus brushing the dust off of his shoulders, standing up, squaring him, saying, Ego, I, me, I, myself, am the way. The truth and the life. Help me, Holy Ghost. You ain't got to know how. How is not a route. How is a person. And I'm preaching to somebody here today who's looking for peace. And you don't know how to get to peace. Peace is not a route. Peace is a person. And the time that you come to know Jesus, you got the way. Not only the way, he says the truth. This is the unmitigated exclusive claim of Jesus Christ. There is no other truth. I know there are multiple people saying these days that there are many truths. But Jesus says, no, I am the truth, watch this, and the life. Some people take this to mean I am the truthful way of life. That's not tiff what this text means. This text means I am the only way. Jesus says I am the only truth and I am the only life. I, I'm, preaching, I'm preaching to somebody in this moment better than you looking at me because I want you to hear this now. Jesus' words were more striking and startling when he said them than they are today. Those men who were with him their mouths hit the floor. You are what? You ain't never been to rabbinical school. You ain't got no MDiv. It, now, now, don't get me wrong. It's cool that all these people have been following us, but they don't even honor you among the Pharisees. And the government is after us. And you want us to believe that a peasant preacher from Galilee is the only way to the Father. I'm here today to tell you that God comes to us in striking and unlikely ways. The smarter you get, if you're not careful, the more ignorant you will become. You cannot judge Jesus by where he lived and what he wore. You got to judge Jesus by what he said and what he did. And since you looking at me like you don't remember what he said or what he did, let me tell you what he did. You notice that Jesus never preached a eulogy? Have you ever noticed that in the scripture? Because every funeral he showed up at, it turned into a resurrection. Y'all ain't in here with me. You, you, you know that, that Jesus never uh, went to Jairus' house with the intention of that girl staying dead. You, you remember that funeral procession was coming by, and, and when it came by, uh, the, the people were weeping and were sad. But, but when Jesus put his hand on the lifeless coffin, the kid in the coffin got up. Because whatever Jesus touches, he has power over death. Y'all don't believe me. But he's got power not only over death, he's got power over disease. Come here, Bartimaeus. I just told the church about you the other week. What tell us about your eye condition where you lost your sight? Bartimaeus would say, I was blind, I was blind, but church, you missed my shout. I said, I was blind, 
but now I see because Jesus is not only Lord over death and disease, but he's also Lord over nature. Y'all remember when Jesus was out on that boat and he went to sleep and that boat was moving and rocking and the disciples, these nautical experts said, we gonna die. And they went to shake Jesus and they said, hey man, do you care? Y'all, 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 oh, oh, I know you, you too, you are too holy to ask God those kinds of questions. But the disciples say, do you care? Do you see where we are? Jesus wipes the sleep from his eyes and he stands up and he puts his hand out and the Bible says he speaks to the wind and the winds died down and the waves licked his hand like a suffering dog and laid down at their master's gentle command. I'm trying to tell y'all, Jesus is Lord over life and he's king over death. He's Lord over health and he's king over sickness. He's Lord over riches and he's king over poverty. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Here it is, people say, well, you're inappropriately narrow. Well, so be it. This is it, friends. You can get lost in a thousand different ways you can only be found in one direction. I'm, I'm, that's the better part of my sermon. I just want to make some careful observations and then tell you about the Holy Ghost. Jesus says, now I need y'all to know something. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Philip says, show us the Father. Ah. Uh, there are a lot of people trying to show us the Father. Tiana was in Sunday school downstairs, and they did a portrait for theology exercise in the kids' Sunday school class. She about five or six. And they said, all right, we're going to work out theology and art. They gave the kids some construction paper and some markers, and Tiana just went to drawing. She was moving that thing everywhere. And her Sunday school teacher came to her and said, hey, Tiana, what, what are you drawing? She says, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher chuckled and said, no one knows what God looks like. She looked back and said, they will when I'm done. <laughs> it's funny because it's true. How often have we tried to make God into our own image? How often have we tried to cast or paint a picture of God in some way that was not true of who he is? But when you get to Jesus and you want to know what God is like, Philip says, show us the Father. And Jesus says, what you think I've been doing the last three years? Jesus says, when I turned that water into wine, I was showing you what the Father's compassion is like. Help me, Lord Jesus. He, he, he said, when I walked on water, I was showing you how powerful the Father is. He says, when I made the winds to be still and the waves to lie down, I was showing you how nature has to respond to the Father's command. 
He said, when I pulled that coin out of that fish's mouth to pay our taxes, I was showing you that our God really does supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. He says, but my greatest showing is on the way because in a little bit I'm going to be nailed to a cross and they're going to put spikes in my feet and a spear in my side and when I die I'm going to be showing you how great my love is. Behold what manner of love is this that the father would send the son and he would lay down his life for our sins. If you want to know what the father looks like, look at Jesus. Jesus says the problem isn't merely showing you the Father, the, the problem is y'all don't keep my commands. He says, if, if you keep my, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. This is a reminder, friends, stated negatively one way and then positively, that God spells love O-B-E. Why? We think of love as a sentimental good feeling. When somebody makes you feel a certain way, you love them. But Jesus says, no, I know that you love me when you obey me. Some Christian preaching has done a great job at communicating the grace of God without simultaneously communicating the demand of grace. We show our love for the Father when we obey the commands of the Son. If all I did were to preach to you about your guilt, but I never called out your sin. I would not do you a good service in the gospel. What Jesus says is, yes, I'm here to comfort you. You don't need to be troubled, but you're here to obey me. And we often think of the lordship of Jesus as an infringement upon our freedom and our fun. You don't have to say amen. I can tell by the way you're looking at me that you understand exactly what I'm saying. You, you have wanted to do things, to live your life in a way that is rebellious against the word of God. I'm not poking at you, I know, I know how you feel. Because if sin wasn't fun, Reverend Davis, if we didn't enjoy it, it would be no issue. But have you ever been having so much fun and sin? And somebody said they were praying for you, you and ah, Because you knew that deliverance meant giving up what you had. But what you did not know is that deliverance was going to give you more than the sin you gave up. And what Jesus is saying to us is that we demonstrate our love for the Father not so much by how loud we sing on Sunday or even the lyrics of our song or the length of our prayers, but we demonstrate our love for him when we say yes to him, when we say no to the things he tells us to say no to. 
Here it is. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. In other words, love, friends, is action. It is not merely speech. But I'm in my seat now. I did all of that to get to this one point. Jesus says, now I want to tell y'all, you don't have to be worried because in verse 16, I've asked the Father to send you another comforter, another counselor. Oh, God, help me preach your word. Let me just explain it since I, don't, I'm, I clearly am having a hard time taking off. This is what Jesus is saying. Another implies that you've already had the first. When we get saved and we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit, we are given another comforter and counselor. Another in the Greek New Testament has two options. The first option could mean another of a different kind. You, you could have a piece of fruit, but it's a different kind of fruit. But the other option is another of the same kind. What Jesus is saying is that the Holy Spirit will be to us what Jesus was to the original 12 disciples. Some scholars even interpret this as a kind of alter ego, the same person, just a different side and different manifestation. Let me see if I can help you out. Her name is Sasha Fierce. Thank you. One person who knows who Beyonce is. But when Beyonce gets on stage, she says she becomes Sasha Fierce. Sasha Fierce is the fun, aggressive, more outspoken, and more glamorous side that comes when Beyonce is working on stage. In other words, what Beyonce says is that it's the same person, but she's relaxed and shy in person, but when she gets on the stage, she becomes more aggressive and more active. I wish somebody didn't check their cultural dime at the door. Y'all know where the center's at in the church. I can't wait to see y'all in, in a few weeks. When she gets on stage, something shows up that people pay money to see. And here is what the Lord is saying to us. I'm leaving you, but the same one of me is coming down to you who will do for you even more than what I I did for you. I'm here today to tell you that he is our counselor. He's our advocate with the Father. That doesn't mean that Jesus has laid up his advocacy. It means that we have another advocate right here on earth. That when you take up the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of you, you get the voice of Jesus in your head. But you also get the power of Jesus in your life. Anybody here want a little more power? Does anybody here want to experience what Jesus did? I, I don't mean to push y'all too far, but I do need to tell you that the same power that the disciples experienced in Jesus, you can experience on planet Earth right now through the Holy Spirit.
I know we Baptists, and I know we don't always talk about the Holy Ghost. And growing up, the Holy Spirit was something people thought made them shout. They would say, I caught the Holy Ghost. Well, the only problem with catching the Holy Ghost is that you can let go of the Holy Ghost. But the beauty of this text ain't that you catch the Holy Ghost, but it's that the Holy Ghost done caught you. And once he catches you, he never lets you go. This is why Jesus says, my ministry in the flesh is temporal, but his ministry in the spirit is forever. That means you will never have to worry about God letting go of you, even when you try to let go of God. Is there anybody in this church that has ever sinned so much? You deserve death, hell, and the grave. No, I'm pausing for station identification. Talk back to me in here. Is there anybody here that has ever done so much wrong, thought so much wrong, said so much wrong, that you didn't deserve to walk in here today, but the reason you walked in here ain't because you did not turn away from God, but it is because God never turned away from you. That's called the ministry of the Holy Ghost. I'm in my seat, but my soul is getting happy. This text says in three prepositions that the Holy Spirit is by us. Help me, Holy Ghost. He is with us and he is in us. Don't miss the trifecta scope of the Holy Ghost. You mean to tell me that I got someone by me? Yes. And he walks with me. Oh, yeah, and he talks with me. Yeah, I, I, I want to preach to somebody who actually got the Holy Ghost. Anybody here ever been about to do something you know you ain't got no business doing, and you heard a voice, and you knew it wasn't your voice, it wasn't your conscience, it wasn't somebody else. You heard a voice that said, don't you do that now. Don't, don't, mm -mm, don't, don't you, you better, not, don't you touch that. That'll get you. And, and you looking at it saying, oh, I would do this if it had not been for that voice. Can I tell you who that voice is? That's the voice of God called the Holy Spirit who restrains and instructs us. He's by us. Oh, but I'm, I feel one better now. Can I tell y'all that he's with us? Oh, friends, I said he's with us. You ain't never had no power like this with you. We were riding, Travis and I, down in Mississippi. Our flight had been delayed, and we got down, and the sun was falling, and we were going down from Jackson to Natchez, and it got real dark outside, and, and Travis started to slow down. I said, Trav, what are you doing? He, he, he said, man, we in the backwoods of Mississippi. Two chocolate guys from Chicago. You ever saw Mississippi burning? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, I'm doing the speed limit. I put my feet up on the dashboard. I let the seat back because he was right. I didn't want to be the next character on Mississippi burning. And so we just made our way, oh, slowly it was, into Natchez to see our father. Well, we hung out with our father for a few days. A few days later, we were on our way to church that morning, and, and, and we were late, and it wasn't my fault. And we were sitting in the car, and I was, Travis was driving. I was sitting in the back seat. Our father was sitting on the passenger side. He said, ah, ah, Travis, would you speed up, please? And you know what Travis did? Without hesitation, without second thought, he sped right up and went past the speed limit. Now, the whole church service, it bothered me that I had asked Travis the days before to speed up, and he would not. But this guy 
gets in the car and asks Travis to speed up, and he does. So I missed all of the glorious worship. My mind was somewhere else. I halfway paid attention to what the preacher had to say, and I tapped Travis on the shoulder. As soon as church was up, I said, man, I've been a good brother to you. I've done what you've asked me to do. We've gone places together. Why didn't you speed up? When I asked you to speed up, but this guy tells you to speed up and you do. He said, well, Charlie, it's easy. He said, our father is a criminal deputy. He has a badge that is recognized by the city of Natchez and of the state of Mississippi. And he got a gun. He said, you ain't got no badge and you ain't got no gun and don't nobody know you. Let me translate what Travis was saying. Travis was saying, we have somebody with us who could handle us if trouble were to break out. Y'all ain't in here with me. Have you ever had your back up against the wall? Have you ever had bills due and not sufficient money to pay? Have you ever stood at the open mouth grave of a loved one? Let me tell you, if you got the Holy Ghost, you have never had to stand there by yourself. You have never had to come up with resources on your own, but there's somebody who's been there who can handle the circumstance. Oh, but I got one more and I'm done. He's not only by us, he's not only with us, but the Bible says he's in us. This is power, church. This is real power. This is, this is the question. How does a big God way up there squeeze into a, such a small container way down here. I don't know if I can answer the physics of that, but what I can tell you is that he's in there. I, I, I'm trying to tell y'all, he's, he, he's in there. He, he, he's in there. We, we were downstairs when I first got here. Church got these old boilers, and I was walking through with Deacon Taylor, and, and Deacon Taylor was showing me, he said, uh, uh, Pastor, these are what keep the church warm in the winter. I said, oh, oh, I, I get it. I get it. He said, no, no, no. Without these, the church would freeze over. He, he said, so we have to take very good care of these. I, I said, well, what do we have to do? He said, well, well, we have to change the tubes and be sure there's sufficient water inside of them. And I said, well, how do you know that there's water inside of those boilers? They're, they're big metal containers. He, he, I said, I, I can't see in there. And, and if I can't see, you can't see what's in there. So how do you know that there's sufficient water to keep the church warm? I'll never forget what Deacon Taylor did. He said, oh, oh look at you, boy. You got all those degrees, but you don't know nothing. He, he said, come on over here. And he pointed to a little tube, his little vial on the side of the boiler. Y'all could take you downstairs right now and show you. He, he says, now, now this is the way they made it. If, if it's water in the tube, it's water in the boiler. He said, if it's a little water in the tube, it's a little water in the boiler. He said, but if it's a lot of water in the tube, it's a lot of water in the boiler. He said, so never mind trying to look in the boiler, just look at the tube. And what's in the tube will tell you how it works. I'm here today to tell you, you ain't never seen God looking way up there. But there is somewhere where you can look. I know he lives 
inside of me. And without his presence on the inside, life will freeze you over. Is there anybody here that knows that the church is still warm? Because we got the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit inside. Is there anybody here who's ever felt the Holy Ghost keeping you and leading you and instructing you and guiding you? Well, sometimes you ought to tell God, thank you for the Holy Ghost. Thank you for keeping me. Thank you for instructing me. I'm done. I'm done. This is it. Thank you for giving me peace. No, 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 no. I didn't mean for y'all to just hear me. I meant for you really to do it. it you, you ought to thank God that the Holy Spirit has dropped this peace on you. Here it is. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. Do not let your heart be troubled. Don't be fearful. Notice what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying that peace is the absence of trouble. Jesus is saying that peace lives in the face of trouble. I'm not trying to offer to y'all that Hennessy peace that comes only when you get a certain amount of liquor in you. I'm not trying to offer you that marijuana piece. Now you can go buy it anywhere you want, and it's only with you. The higher you go, that's the higher you stay. But when you come down, I'm not offering you the kind of peace that illicit sex will give you, because that don't last. What I'm offering you, Jesus says, is a peace unlike the world gives. The world gives peace, and then the world snatches it away. I'm in my seat. I just need to testify. I need somebody to help me in this sanctuary. Let me know if you know what this peace is like. This peace is like Mr. John Leonard, who was in a painting contest, and, and none of the, the contestants knew what they would have to paint until they, were show, they showed up at the contest. And the judge said, all right, now all of you, here's your assignment. You've got 30 minutes to paint a portrait of peace. Oh, they went to it. And they started moving brushes every which way. And when they got done, uh, one of them knew that they had won. Mr. John Leonard looked over at his companion's portrait, and it was a beautiful, serene picture of a beach with lapping water and a bright sunset coming down in the horizon. And he just knew in that moment that was going to be the one that won. But the judges looked at it and said, that's good, but we're going to keep on going. They went and they looked at another man who was sitting at a table with all of his family and all of his friends and all of its food. And the portrait said, happy Thanksgiving. And they just knew that would be the portrait that won peace. But Mr. Leonard stood there looking at his portrait. And the judge came over and he started to scribble some notes and he looked and he said I think we found the winner and everybody looked at Mr. Leonard's portrait as it did not meet the standard that they had thought it was trees bending it was rocky waves beating upon the shore it was dark at the sky it was all kind of weeds and roughage and one contestant said how is that a picture of peace and the judge said you gotta look real close there's a bird standing on a branch unbothered by the winds and the waves not moved by the sky that's peace 
Help me, Holy Ghost. I'm here today to tell somebody that that's what peace is. Jesus says when the economy tanks, when you get a president that don't understand you, when racial injustice is everywhere, when you got to move out of the only home you've known for the last 40 years, when friends and family are few, but you can sit there with your eyes focused on him who called you, that's peace. Somebody today ought to thank God that the Holy Spirit has left you his peace. I'm done, church. Let's stand to our feet. Somebody today needs the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You got the idea that Jesus has come in the flesh but you haven't quite grabbed hold of the fact that the word is available to you via the Holy Spirit. I want you today to trust the Lord Jesus Christ, this great promise to put his spirit on the inside of you. I, I'll be honest with you, I, it's impossible to live the Christian life apart from the equipping and empowering Spirit of God. We don't call the Holy Spirit a it or a thing. Holy Spirit, like a person, can be grieved. The Holy Spirit is God with us right now. I don't want you to leave this broadcast today without knowing the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the only way to have the Holy Spirit dwelling beside you and with you and in you is you gotta trust Jesus. That's the, that's the only way. And when you do that, he will give you coverage on the inside. You say, well, how do I do that? I, I don't know how to place my faith in Jesus. Well, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's it. I can't do that for you, though, my sister, my brother. You've got to do that for yourself. Trust the Lord Jesus today. Pray this prayer with me. You just, you got to pray it for yourself and mean it with your heart. Pray, dear God. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son, that he died on the cross for our sin, for my sin, and that you raised him from the dead. I believe that you are enough for me. Receive me now. If you break that prayer, placing your faith in Jesus Christ, you can know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die. And you can also know for sure that his spirit takes up residence inside of you. Father, I thank you for my brothers and my sisters who've heard your word today. We need it, Lord. We do beg of you. <laughs> we do beg of you that you would help us to sense your power in greater ways, to know you in fuller measure.
give us that grace, we pray. Now for those who prayed that prayer, Lord, I pray, pray that they would walk with you, that the enemy of our soul would not snatch this word, but that they would let it sink down into the soil of their hearts and that they would experience growth thereby. And bless your church, Lord, with the power of your spirit. May there be something supernatural about us. We don't want to be like Apple or Microsoft or Google or Facebook, companies that come and go. We want something supernatural that transcends the here and now. Would you do that for us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name and for his sake, let the church say together, amen. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week for another uplifting and inspiring message by Dr. Charlie Dates, Senior Pastor of the Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. For more information about our church, visit ProgressiveChicago.org. Progress is yours through the gospel of Jesus Christ.